0: Our scripture is Micah 4, 1 to 3. The fourth chapter of Micah, verses 1 to 4. Peace is our subject. Next week we shall conclude our studies in biblical law. And we shall, for a very brief time, analyze then what the scripture teaches about the nature of man, biblical psychology. And then we shall go on to the biblical doctrine of redemption. Certainly, all this while, we have been touching on redemption in a sense it seems backwards to the modern mind to start with the law and then the nature of man and then redemption but let us remember that in scripture we find the clearest statement of the doctrine of redemption very late in scripture to nicodemus and this is not without reason it is stated in the very beginning But the mature statement of the doctrine comes late. And today when men tend to reverse it, they get a very superficial doctrine of salvation because they stop with he must be born again and fail to put it in the context that scripture places it in. We shall thus conclude our studies in the law next week begin our study of the nature of man and biblical psychology for a brief time, and then go to the doctrine of redemption. Our scripture now, Micah 4, verses 1 through 4. But in the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountain, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and people shall flow unto it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, and to the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For the law shall go forth of Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among many people, and rebuke strong nations afar off. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more, but they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and none shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts hath spoken it. If you were to go through scripture and collect the passages that deal with peace You would find it surprising how many such passages there are. Very clearly, peace is a central purpose of God's plan for man and the earth. Peace, as scripture describes it, is first and foremost, peace with God. Then, when man is at peace with God, there is peace between man and man, and between man and nature. This piece is seen as a part of many of the prophetic passages of Scripture as they deal with the future. Isaiah is full of such passages as witness Isaiah eleven six 6-9, The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid. And the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. And the cow and the bear shall feed, and their young ones shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox, and the suckling child shall play on the hole of the ass. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, or the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. It is not our purpose this morning to deal with the prophetic aspects of all these passages. Briefly, however, prophecy does declare that God shall restore man to his original place and purpose. That man shall, under God, exercise dominion over the earth, subdue the earth, and rejoice in the abundance of peace under his Savior. One of these very familiar passages, the one we read, declares that then the law shall go forth of Zion, that God's law shall again govern men and nations. And as it gives a picture of the peace that shall prevail, in the fourth verse it says, They shall sit every man under his vine and under his victory, and none shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts hath spoken This use of the vine and the fig tree as images, as symbols of peace, is very common in scripture. We meet with it repeatedly. For example, in 2 Kings 18.31, in Isaiah 36.16, and many other passages. It is a familiar image of peace. It occurs almost incidentally in many passages, as, for example, in 1 Kings 4.25, And Judah and Israel dwelt safely, every man under his vine and under his fig tree, from Dan even to Beersheba, all the days of Solomon. Another example in Zechariah 3.10, In that day saith the Lord of hosts, shall he call every man his neighbor under the vine and under the fig tree. The reason why the vine and the fig tree are used so often as symbols of peace is that they speak not only of peace, but of fertility and prosperity. The blessing of the Lord it maketh rich, and he addeth no sorrow to it. Therefore, when God gives peace, he gives with it fertility and prosperity. Moreover, our Savior cited himself as the source of this peace, as the true vine, declaring in John 15:1, I am the true vine. Declaring furthermore, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Thus in Holy Week our Lord said he was the source of peace. He was the true vine. He also cited the fig tree because he cursed it and in so doing made it clear to all who were with him that Israel's peace was cursed by him who is the true peace. Now before the fall there was peace in Eden. In Eden, there was peace between man and God, and between man and the animals, and with all nature. This peace was broken by man's sin. Now, Scripture tells us, St. Paul declaring this in Romans 8, verses 19 through 23, the whole creation wait earnestly for the deliverance and the restoration which is to be worked by Christ for the sons of God. That restoration begins with man's restoration to life by the regenerating work of our Savior. Man is then in Christ a new creation, so that in Second Corinthians five seventeen we read, There is a new creation. Wherever a man comes to be in Christ, what is old is gone, the new has come. This concept of peace is also a part of the doctrine of the Sabbath, of man's rest in the Lord and of the earth's rest in the Lord. Now, this doctrine of peace, as it appears in scripture, the vine and the fig tree, of man's peace with God and then his peace with nature is a very familiar image not only of scripture but in the history of law. The idea of man's peace in God became an important aspect of Western law. Dr. Keaton, an English scholar, has written, and I quote, Another factor of importance which influenced the growth of the criminal law in the first century after the conquest was the concept of the king's peace. In Saxon law, every free man had a peace, so also had the church and the peace of God governed all holy days. For breaches of a person's peace, by the commission of a crime within it, compensation must be paid as well as compensation to the victim or his kin. Above all other pieces was that of the king, and even in Saxon times we hear of the efforts made by strong kings to preserve it, especially on the king's highway. In the hands of the royal administrators after the conquest, this proved a dynamic concept, and as Maitland once expressed it, eventually the king's peace swallowed up the peace of everyone else. This happened in two ways. Gradually, the money payments in respect of the breach of the peace of other persons ceased to be levied whilst the conception of the king's peace was extended to the entire realm. Any serious breach crime thus became a breach of the king's peace and a felony. Already by the time of Braxton in the 13th century, it had become a common form to charge an accused in the following terms. For as the said person was in the peace of God and of our Lord the King, there came the said person feloniously as a felon, etc. Even today, a person accused of felony is charged that he did feloniously and contrary to the peace of our sovereign Lady the Queen, etc. It was the characteristic of outlaws that they had put themselves out of the King's peace so that every man's hand was against them over the king's peace was at first conceived as existing so long as the king was alive Unquote. Now this passage summarizes a very long and extensive and very important history in terms of this biblical doctrine of man's peace in Christ every man under his vine and fig tree and Christ as the true vine. The legal doctrine was that every man had his peace, and your peace extended to the full extent of your property and your person. Thus, anyone who crossed your property line without your permission was violating your peace anyone who robbed you or assaulted you was violating your peace. And he had to make legal compensation in terms of the courts for a violation of John Doe's peace. And this was the charge filed against him, that he had violated your peace. This came straight out of Scripture. Your peace was your own under God. You as a Christian man, having been redeemed by Christ, had been established in the peace that God had created for man in Eden. You were then an ambassador of Christ in this world. You had extraterritorial rights, as it were. No one could transgress on that. This was a very important legal concept. But, as Dr. Keaton says, the idea of the king's peace took over, and it swallowed up every other peace. In other words, the state said, it's not a violation of your peace, it's a violation of our peace. It's not a violation of God's peace, it's a violation of the king's peace. And so the state said, finally, You're not entitled to restitution. We are. The offense is not against you. It's against the monarch. And so statism claimed to be the source of peace and eliminated Christ's peace, God's peace, man's peace in Christ. And the difference, of course, between peace when it is viewed as an aspect of God's order in Christ and peace as a product of the state, the difference between these two perspectives is vast. Let us now look a little further into the doctrine of peace. Peace. Peace is a translation of a Hebrew word Shalom we have it in Jerusalem Salem it is the greeting in Hebrew instead of saying hello it is Shalom peace now peace Shalom in Hebrew comes from the root to be whole, wholeness, soundness, health, well being, prosperity, peace as opposed to war, concord as opposed to strife. As a result, the biblical doctrine of peace is very closely related to the biblical doctrine of salvation. This is why throughout the New Testament, as well as Old Testament prophecy, the culmination of Christ's work is peace. And Christ, even in the midst of trouble and of, and of strife and turmoil, gives us peace. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. Peace, thus, is a present possession in Christ, and it is a future possession as Christ's reign is extended throughout the world. Peace is thus, that order of peace and prosperity, of salvation, of health, which flows out of our reconciliation to God in Jesus Christ, and our restoration to life under God. Life in Eden was a life of peace with God. Therefore, peace with yourself. Peace with nature. The source of that peace is the primary relationship with God. And Christ having restarted all other forms of peace, shall flow out of that peace we have with God in Jesus Christ. Statist stated peace on the other hand is simply an absence of hostility. It means that war has ended, that there has been a suppression, perhaps, of criminal activity. The state cannot regenerate man It cannot even establish the limited peace it aims at. Because the power of the state is essentially the power of the sword. The state cannot order men to love one another or to live in peace. And when it tries to do so, it only aggravates the situation. The state, therefore... Can never bring about peace. As a matter of fact, the state, when it tries to make peace its goal, only destroys the peace of citizens and usurps God's peace and the free man's peace in Christ. The state can only be an instrument of peace when it serves God's law and is the ministry of justice and no more. When it acknowledges that peace can only come as man is redeemed by God in Christ. Thus, the doctrine of peace is a very important one in law, because it is, first of all, important in terms of the doctrine of salvation. The vine and the fig tree imagery are thus essential to scripture. They are God-centered doctrines, God-centered symbols, setting forth the peace, the salvation, the fulfillment of man in prosperity and joy and in well-being in God through Christ. There is no peace, no fulfillment for man in any other way. Therefore, Scripture declares, the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. Let us pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee that Thou hast called us to thy peace through Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Saviour, by whose blood atonement has been made, and we are now at peace with thee, peace with ourselves, and peace with one another. We thank thee, our God, that this peace shall cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. But our peace in thee is the peace which extends to our possessions to every man under his vine and fig tree. Thou, those who violate our peace in Christ, thy hand is raised against them as evil to We thank thee, our God, that having given us an inner peace in Jesus Christ, thou shalt in due time give unto thy saints an outer peace, and thy reign is fulfilled among men. Make us therefore thy servants, O Lord, unto the end that all these things may be accomplished, that we, growing in thy grace and peace, may extend the realm of thy peace among men. Bless us for this purpose we beseech thee. In Jesus' name, amen. Are there any questions now, first of all,
1: about our lesson. Yes.
0: I, I, I can't...
1: Yes. yes and there will be a of peace on the earth prior to the world?
0: Yes. Scripture is emphatic in hundreds of passages that history will see peace. Now, this will not be the perfect peace that heaven and the new creation will provide, but there will be peace so that every man shall sit under its vine and under its victory and none shall make them afraid there's no way of explaining that away you see and calling it symbolical because it is so unmistakable I know that uh, some ministers try to say well that's just symbolism but symbolism of what? symbolism of what it's like the passage in Isaiah 2 verses 1 through 4 where you have a similar statement and a minister in a class was saying this was merely symbolic and a young college student said but symbolic of what all you can say is it sets forth the peace that God is going to bring to men and nations We have a double promise of peace. When we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, peace is brought to our lives. We can grow in terms of that inner peace as we grow in our sanctification. But there is another peace, an outer peace, a worldwide peace. Both are clearly set forth. Now, of course, the mistake that the ungodly make is that they try to gain this peace on the one hand through psychology, and on the other hand through things like the United Nations. In both cases, without Christ. And they only aggravate the lack of peace and the warfare in man's soul and in man's world. Yes?
1: Yes,
0: right. This is the inner peace that I said that we have here and now. The world peace is as impossible as the inner peace. Both are acts of God. We are at peace with God and have inner peace because of Christ's miraculous regenerating work. And the world peace that shall come will be the same miraculous work as men and nations by the grace of God are brought under his reign. When we go back and look at the Reformation, for example, and see how far Europe had gone, how reprobate men had become, how they were becoming physically degenerate as well as morally degenerate, you realize it was a miracle, a miracle that the Reformation took place and that so many people turned and believed. And again, the same thing at the fall of Rome. And we have to say that God can and will work that same miracle in due time. But of course, first men must be judged because men never come to their knees until they're driven there. One of the nice things about the earthquake is that it jolted a lot of the ungodly. Uh... I'm told that Johnny Carson remarked on the evening of the earthquake, uh, this is a joke he made, that uh, the death of God convention has been canceled. (laughs) And I'm also told that large numbers of people have gone to psychiatrists and have taken their children to psychiatrists. And the paper this morning said that the moving companies have reported that their business is up as much as 600% moving people out of the state and a lot of people are leaving without their furniture so they're not getting all of them and where are they going to go? you have hurricanes, disasters everywhere in other words the sickness is in man's soul he's going to be humbled and then he'll be ready to believe yes Right, right. When you have that kind of ruler, you will have a godly peace prevailing. But today, you have anything but that. Uh, Fort Lewis III made clear on one of his programs just recently how many congressmen there are in Washington who regularly have pop parties in their homes. And so he concluded, he said, what can you expect from Congress when you have men like that up there?
1: Yes. I can't quite hear you. It's hard to say.
0: It all depends on what men do. You have had more than once in history a complete collapse when a civilization has just fallen apart. And this is what happened to Rome. Rome did not uh, get overthrown by the barbarians, really, because the barbarians were just handfuls of people. They were little tribes. Occasionally they might be a thousand or two or three or four or five thousand, but that was rare. It might be fifty or a hundred wandering barbarians with their wives and children who meandered across the border. Now Rome had far more men under arms than all the barbarians. What happened? Well as Dr. William Carroll Bark a Stanford historian has pointed out he said the Romans just didn't fight they didn't see anything worth fighting for and so these barbarians had come in and nobody had figured anything was worth defending so what happened was that it really collapsed it really collapsed when the barbarians walked into Rome they expected a fight They didn't conquer it. They just walked in. When they walked into the Senate, the Senators were just sitting there paralyzed. And the barbarians at first thought they were statues, remarkable statues. And when they went up to feel them, then the Senators got uh, shocked out of their paralysis and began to uh, try to brush them away. And then they fell on them and killed them. It wasn't a war; it was just a total collapse. And Rome, from a population of billions, finally dwindled down to 500. Now, this kind of collapse has taken place. At the end of the Middle Ages, it was a different thing. It moved into totalitarianism in many areas. So you had absolute tyrants moving in taking power, eliminating populations if they would not bend to their will. It can go either way, anarchy or totalitarianism. Yes. During the Middle Ages, the church having made Rome a center, little by little it came to be rebuilt, partly because so many pilgrims began to go there. Then it became an important governmental center, but for a long time it was in ruins, and many of the ancient buildings, people from miles around would walk in there and tie loose the great big stones and cart them away to build their farms
1: or their little one-room houses. There
0: was no effectual government there for a long time, it was just a village, 500 people. As a matter of fact, before, the, uh, before Rome fell to the barbarians, the emperors no longer lived there. The welfare mobs, as I pointed out before, were too many in the big cities. So they gave up Rome, they went to Milan, they gave up Milan, they went elsewhere. And finally, at the time of the fall, the last emperor was in Ravenna, which at that time was a small town. It was the only safe place to be. They had created the welfare mob, and it finally got too much for them to handle. And you see, paying off the welfare mob finally became impossible. Because their money depreciated to the point where they couldn't buy anything to pay off the welfare mob.
1: Yes? What? Yes,
0: during Solomon's reign, you had a tremendous time of peace. And it was a peace that was worldwide. Solomon's power was such that he was able to maintain a very extensive peace so that Solomon's ships regularly traded with India and regularly traded not only with Spain, but apparently Ireland and England. Merchant ships going there he and the Phoenicians together Hiram of Tyre so that their ships went very far as a matter of fact there's a very interesting book that has been reprinted by St. Thomas Press which maintains and I think with good grounds that Solomon's ships got their silver and the scripture says it was a three year ground trip from the Americas They came to Mexico and Peru and there got their silver. And I think the evidence is pretty good.
1: Yes? Is where? Yes.
0: Well, there are different kinds of peace, and some kinds of peace are really sick. For example, Christian scientists do have a peace and uh, calmness about them, but it comes from refusing to face up to anything. There's no such thing as matter. There's no such thing as evil. There are no problems. They close their minds to all these things. It's a cop-out kind of peace. Well, this transcendental meditation is similar. Now, there are two varieties of it. One variety says uh, that you can find peace in realizing that you are one with God, and therefore nothing can affect you. The other, that nothingness is ultimate, and therefore nothing is any important one says you are God ultimately and the other says that there is nothing and you are nothing so nothing matters so you find your peace in that now this kind of peace is a kappa. for example I know two sisters and the one has definitely uh, aged a little more than the other although she's about two years younger the other one is one of these peace people she's always going from one thing or another she's been in unity and christian science and yoga and the transcendental meditation and so on and there isn't a line on her face but over the years what's happened whenever there's been a problem uh, mother ill and father ill and some need to take care of them to bring them into the house and look after them. She's been above that sort of thing. It's the other sister who's done all the dirty work in the family, taken all the responsibility. She's been the one that all the relatives have gone to there their problems and with considerable Christian grace she has met with all these problems and resolve them. Now, there's no question the other woman has the peace that really shows. But it's a sick peace, and in my book, well, I won't tell you what I think of her. You see, this is the kind of peace that people are aiming at today. And it's not a godly peace. A godly peace comes by meeting your problems in Christ. And triumphing.
1: Yes. the mm-hmm. Right.
0: But you see, so- uh, Solomon's peace rusted on david's feet in other words your children have peace because you're doing some fighting for them some working some fighting you're protecting them and thus it is that maybe our generation is the generation that's going to establish the foundation for the peace of the next generation so before you can have peace you very commonly have to have a lot of war and because Saul had helped destroy the peace of Israel David had to undo what not only Saul but some of others uh, prior to that had had undone or had done he had to eliminate many enemies who had taken portions of Israel's territory, who had claimed rights of tribute over Israel. So he had a lifetime of fighting to do to establish peace. But there was more peace in the land during his day than for some time previously, precisely because in spite of the warfare, there was prosperity rising. There was security arising within
1: the land. Yes.
0: How is our peace related to us? To being under grace. Almost identical. When we are under grace, we are in peace. Because it is the grace of God which brings peace to us. And the word peace is very closely related to the word salvation. It has a cognate meaning. Both mean health, victory, well-being, prosperity. So they're like well, The words liberty and freedom, they really mean the same thing. So in the biblical sense, peace and salvation are different sides of the same thing, and grace is the foundation of peace and salvation in the biblical sense.
1: Yes. I remember when the children left the prison, in I was like, oh, it said that yeah. you glorify God in many ways, and uh, it said that you were, that you feel pain because someone, not in the job, or the person not in the job right That is also a way to glorify any prisoners. Yes,
0: Yes, but you see, peace in the biblical sense is, first of all, peace with God. Now, because you and I are at peace with God, this often means we are at war with the world around us. If you're at peace with the world, you're at war with God. So in a simple world, there's going to be war. The question is, who are you going to fight with, God or man? So, because our times are what they are, we've got to have war with men and peace with God. When you go back and study the lives of some of the great saints of old, you find that all their troubles very often began when they were saved. They found peace with God, but they had an unceasing battle with men because of that. Remember, when Calvin, who could have been a very quiet scholar and said, I'm not going to get involved, and won fame and prestige and uh, a very secure position with one of the universities of the day, or as a lawyer to the king of France, when he became a Christian, it was warfare almost to his death. It was not only an ugly battle with men day after day. But at night time too, they'd come under his window and shoot off their guns to keep him from resting so he wouldn't be too fresh during the day for work or to battle with the town council. Not only that, when he'd start down the street, they'd sick the dogs on him. So it was difficult for him to walk down the street. Uh, this you don't get in the textbooks. They talk about him as the tyrant of Geneva. I've never heard of a dictator or a tyrant having dogs sticked on him when he went down the street or a shot under his window through the night. It wasn't a very peaceful situation. On top of that, he had personal problems. He had to take care of some orphaned kids, his brothers. And one of the girls got into trouble. She was very headstrong. And consider the embarrassment to Calvin in such a situation. You claim to be the religious leader, and look at uh, what happens to a girl in your own family. He had problems, believe me. And yet he did have peace with God. And that's the basic piece. Yes? I couldn't uh, state it any better than you did. It's this false piece that you're describing that people are striving for today. In the name, but not in the spirit of Christ. Because our Lord said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. But he also said that very often a man's enemy shall be those of his own household. And I come not to bring peace in the sense of between man and man and smoothing things over, but a sword. So between man and man, it's a declaration of war. It's not peace. And this love bit, of course, is paganism in the name of Christ. So, a Christian should not subscribe to that pagan concept
1: of feet. Yes. Yes, yes. Go ahead. Uh, Yes.
0: they experimented with everything in those days as people do now but their basic paralysis was a moral paralysis a moral paralysis on one occasion when there was some problem the emperor had been unable to cope with and I think one emperor was assassinated the army turned to the senate and said why don't you rule the country again as centuries before the army I mean the senate sat around and sat around and they didn't know how to run things they didn't want the responsibility so they finally said well you pick an emperor and let him run it and we'll criticize you see this is all that they were capable of doing criticizing finding fault not taking the moral
1: responsibility yes
0: That's a partial truth. But how does the Holy Spirit indwell within us? It's to the degree that we are obedient that we obey God's word. So a great deal of the modern cultivation of the Spirit is really (coughs) a pagan cultivation of things like love and peace for its own sake. It's not the gift of the Spirit. Our time is really about up. There's one small item from yesterday's paper that I'd like to share with you. It rather tickled me. And it was simply this, that six Associated Press bureaus across the country ran a test on males. And they found out that the use of the zip code actually slows down the mail. Now, we've been using the zip code for almost ten years, and it was supposedly uh, to help speed up the mail, and they thought that they were going to invent a machine whereby everything would be automated and the machine would read the zip code, the numbers, and sort the mail I believe they did have such a pilot post office was it in Rhode Island they put out a stamp about 10 years ago of the first automated post office a picture of it
1: unfortunately
0: instead of sorting the letters it chews them up and now this associated press study indicates that whether it's local mail or across country the zip code doesn't help it blows up the mail This is progress. Let's bow our heads now for the benediction. And now go in peace. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost bless you and keep you, guide and protect you this day and always. Amen.